Well, many of us uh, gather week by week, don't we? We love Jesus. We're Christians. And we have a real desire to be useful to God in this world. And many of us serve, don't we? We serve in church or elsewhere. We want to be useful because God has blessed us. Uh, He saved us for heaven through the work of his son, the Lord Jesus. And we know that in and through the gospel that we've responded to. That gospel which Timothy had been reminded of a number of times throughout this letter so far. But particularly, flip back a couple of verses which you can't have just realised in your sheets. But let me just take you there uh, to verses 11 to 13. There was that trustworthy saying that Paul had given to Timothy. It's kind of like a poem. Four couplets of of lines, and it said this, If we died with him, that is, if we die to our old selves, the way we used to live without God, we'll also live with him, bound to him by faith. If we endure, that is, if we endure now, we'll also reign with God for eternity. See, we, as Christians, live now in grateful response to that good news. That Jesus has done the work to secure us an eternity in heaven, in his presence with God. And now our response is just a grateful response to that good news. But we want to be useful, don't we, as we respond. But is being busy the same as being useful? I think the danger is that we can slip into the thinking that who we are doesn't matter as long as we do a bunch of stuff we perhaps think that if we help out here in church if we come along to church if we if we bless our home group with our presence and maybe answer a couple of difficult questions uh, that who we are as a person doesn't matter so much we get in that mindset that says we think that competency what we get done matters less than our character That is who we are. The the issue has been in the news this week. I don't know if you saw it. I was on the tube and I I don't really pick up the evening standard, but there I was, I was there. And uh, I saw that the the MP Hugh Merriman, you may have seen this, married three daughters. This week he's been found out to have another child uh, with a former aide who he's had an affair with for over 10 years. And the question was, does it matter? Does that matter really? I mean, he's a competent MP. It doesn't matter about his character, does it? I remember having surgery a few years ago, but something chopped out of my chest. Let's not go to the details, because Linda might faint. Um, But there I was, waiting outside the uh, the surgery. It was uh, in the operating theatre. It was a local anaesthetic. And therefore, I overheard the surgeon. There was a kind of jar in the door, speaking to his team about his rather, let's say, excitable weekend away. Now... He was one of the best plastic surgeons around, supremely competent. Did it matter that he had a questionable character, questionable ethics? Which would you rather, lying on a surgeon's table, a competent surgeon with a questionable moral compass or a morally upright surgeon with questionable competency? (laughs) Well, the answer is obvious, isn't it? You want a surgeon that can do the job really, really well. And the same, that's true for so many jobs, isn't it? Uh, Do you care, for example, what the pilot does when he's landed the plane? Or do you care that he can land the plane? Again, it's pretty obvious, isn't it? You could argue, actually, that in many professions, 
actually having questionable morals will be an advantage. Certainly a number of my friends in the financial industry, or certainly a lot of my friends in sports would say, for example, if you can overlook certain moral, certain ethical dilemmas, you will likely do better. You will likely be promoted quicker. I'm sure that many of you in the financial industry go, no, that's not true. We have all these regular... I know. But I'm only going what other people say. Some professions, of course, the character means a lot. It's essential. Think about teaching, the caring professions. The character there means huge amounts, doesn't it? But what about here? What about amongst us as we gather each Sunday? Uh, What matters most in our lives, in our ministry that we're involved in? Is it competency or character? Now, I think what we will see today is that who we are, rather than what we can do, who we are is absolutely everything. Our character is infinitely more important than our competency. In fact, I would dare say it is absolutely everything, as I said. Which is the purpose of the picture, if you have a look at it in verse 20, it's printed on your sheets there. This metaphor that Paul has used. Uh, Paul, remember, he's encouraging Timothy. He's used three metaphors so far to kind of describe the Christian life and ministry in it. He's used soldier, he's used athlete, he's used farmer. Already showing us that ministry in the Christian life is hard, it requires effort, it requires discipline. But there is, in all of those three pictures, a final and ultimate reward that awaits Now Paul instructs Timothy, showing us what really matters to God. And it really matters if we're going to be useful to him. As Paul puts it, we're to be instruments for special purposes. It's there on your outline. Let's read verse 20 again. In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Now you get the picture. Is this large house, let's say a mansion. I'm thinking Downton Abbey, but I'm in the wrong era, but you can pass that by, okay? You get the picture. You can imagine in such a house that there will be articles, pots, jars. They will be used for common use. That is, for things that you want to get rid of, that you don't want to see, that you don't want to smell. I'm not going to get graphic, but they're things that you don't particularly want to be near a lot of the time common use jars pots but in the same house you can imagine there will be articles uh, for uh, plates goblets made of gold and silver they would be used for special purposes for things that you want to see and enjoy pleasurable things food and drink uh, and so on and the picture is being described of those that gather on a Sunday in a church It's always been understood uh, that when people gather in a church, let's say it's always a mixed bag, and that's right, and that is appropriate. In any church, there ought to be those who are Christians, but there also should be those who are investigating the Christian faith. There'll be people, those who just like coming along to, for example, buildings like this, uh, religious things. Formal meetings, but aren't in any personal relationship with God. A a gathering on a Sunday morning is always a mixed bag in that way. And we are a mixed bag, and that is great, because that is what church is meant to be. 
Church on Sunday is for everyone, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, or people investigating the truth, atheists, uh, Muslims, Buddhists, every single person. Hypocrites. Church is for hypocrites. Look at us. Church is for hypocrites. Anyone is welcome. Coming to church and even getting involved doesn't make anyone a Christian. Let's be clear about that. But it is the right place for us to be. And therefore, given that, we recognise that any church gathering is mixed. To use the metaphor of verse 20, there will be some who are instruments for common purposes and some for special purposes. That is, the Christians who could be useful to God and his plans. Now, Paul then applies the metaphor. Let's go to verse 21. You see the application. Uh, There are some in the church who are to be used for special purposes, but we see Paul in verse 21 showing how this is to happen. If sense on our outline, the making of instruments for special purposes. Look what needs to happen there, verse 21. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. You see, there are those that need to cleanse themselves from being instruments for common purposes and they will be made holy and useful to God. Now, we need to be really careful here and and understand that Paul is not suddenly changing all of his thinking here and what in his writing is saying that becoming a Christian is a matter of us cleansing ourselves before God. No, let's be clear. Nothing that we can do, no cleansing that we can do can make us right with God. No amount of moral kind of sorting out of your lives will make you right with God in the sight of God. No anything here is taken with the understanding that God has worked first to save us through his son the Lord Jesus that follows in the letter even if you go back to verse 1 of chapter 1 which you can't but I'll, I'll tell it you the promise of eternal life is found in Jesus Christ and in him alone it is by trusting him that we are saved Also strength for life and ministry. As Paul enters the second chapter of this book, he says it's found you're strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. And again, it's not our strength. It's not our power. It's the power of Christ working in and through us. And so here when he says we're called to cleanse ourselves, to be useful to God, yes, there is a responsibility here, but we do so with that initiating and preserving power and work of Christ in us. But the message is clear. We are to be cleansed. We're to be made holy. That holy word is just simply set apart. To be useful for our Lord and Master. Now, I know that some of you will be going, oh, there's all sorts of exceptions in the Bible to that. Yes, there are. Think of the Babylonians in the Old Testament. Uh, They were used as instruments by God uh, to bring justice to his people. You can read about it in the book of Habakkuk, for example. They come along, and these are exceptions, though. God, in almost all circumstances, uses those who have set themselves apart for his work. God uses those who have seen that character means everything before God and sought to cleanse themselves before him. Now, the cleansing, let's get to what that means, because it's kind of, ooh, do I need to go and have a bath or something like that? No. Okay, the cleansing here seems to be a, a separation from, to be distinct from the false teaching and the subsequent lifestyle that has come and Paul has spelt out in the previous verses just before this passage. You see that if you look back later on. 
But the metaphor here is a beautiful picture of those who have set themselves apart for God. They have made themselves or cleansed themselves from false teaching, from the lifestyle that that leads to. They said that we want to be set apart for God, in the power of God, to be useful for God. That is, if we want to be useful for God, we must take responsibility. And our character matters. How well you lead a small group, for example. How well you kind of look after the children if you're in the small groups and teach them there. How well you kind of do hospitality. All of these things, how well you tell your friends about Jesus. All of those things we do are so, so secondary. Your heart, your character matters more than anything else. What we are before God is so much more important than what we do. We should spend a thousand times more energy and time considering our hearts before God than we do our service. The making of an instrument for special purposes requires us, yes, to cleanse ourselves. We must be heart and mind set apart, holy, and then and only then will we, will we be useful. Useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. The problem, I guess, for many of us is we can be so pragmatic, so worried to be seen to be doing the right things before God and before others. And God wants us here to see the priority. To be useful, we must be cleansed, prepared, heart and mind, so that we can be made into instruments for special purposes. Now, second point, how do we keep that going? Here we get to the maintenance of instruments for special purposes. And we see in verse 22, cast your eyes down there. Look what it says. Flee evil des- the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, maintenance of my waistline is not a simple thing. There are positives and there are negatives. Uh, positively, I need to do more exercise. Negatively, I need to eat a lot less sugar, and that's a really sad thing, uh, which I have to deal with in middle age. But if we are to maintain our usefulness, if you like, before the Lord, if we are to be set apart, prepared to do any good work for him, even if we don't like that work, notice it's any good work, we need to fly. We need to fly. Yes, flight is actually in both of the actions described in verse 22. Firstly, we're called to flee, fly from evil desires of youth, and then pursue is a flight word, fly toward other things. So let's firstly look at the, the first one, that we're to flee, the flee the evil desires of youth. Now, many of us at that point are going, well, there's a number of other things that Paul's written that it always seems to point towards the sexual, these kind of, it's sexual desires here. Yes, I'm sure it is that, but the context seems far broader. Of course, it does mean that we should flee from sexual, uh, things that are inappropriate, inappropriate sexual desires. For example, like Joseph does with Potiphar's wife in Genesis, we should flee, get out of there. We shouldn't play with such desires or negotiate with them, thinking we're so savvy when we do that, don't we? 
or let them linger, for example, like David did. Do you remember he was on the, the palace roof overlooking Bathsheba as she was bathing? He let it linger, and it was his great downfall. We must take flight away from them. Flee. It, and one come to put it, I think it was really helpful. Just, it's flee or fall, and you've got to make that choice. Youthful desires, of course, can include a whole bunch of other things. And I've kind of tried to bring them together, if you like, in all of kind of Paul's and New Testament writing. Here's a whole good list for you. Being stubborn, that's a youthful desire. Headstrong. Being impatient. Harsh in conversations. Contentiousness. That's like a sport for some people, isn't it? Certainly amongst Christian leaders, I find. The inability to listen it can be the undoing for so many, can't it? Hence why James writes about it so much in his letter. Always having to win an argument. Isn't that interesting? Some people just can't let any word go without picking it up, correcting it, or giving their much greater wisdom into that argument. These seem to be what the rest of the New Testament writers see as kind of youthful desires and maybe they're in our hearts and lives too we've seen some of these in the church in Ephesus that Timothy is leading and I've seen them I think probably all of them in myself at times and I've seen them in others some of who are no longer in ministry because they will not flee but it's not all negative. Look at what Paul also calls Timothy and also us to pursue now. Pursue is the positive. Take flight towards four things. Look at them. Righteousness. That is, we're to have rightness and moral and ethical conduct before God. We're to pursue that. Secondly, we see faith there. We place our faith in God, our, our trust in God, all the time, at whatever the circumstances. So when things are difficult... Pursue faith. Trust Jesus in and through that. Love. Now the love word here is, the, is the, that love word of all others, not just Christians, not just those like us, those who you may not even enjoy the company of. Love. Pursue it. Notice it's not passive. Take flight toward these. Peace. Peace with God's people. No friction between any of us and others as well. It's so easy to be passive-aggressive and just avoid, isn't it? Now you need to pursue peace. Which is hard work. I wonder if you're... Are you pursuing these things in your heart, in your mind today? But notice the push-pull expectation... Notice that we aren't to just flee youthful desires, and neither are we just to pursue those four Christ-like qualities. You notice they're all Christ-like in that way? We're to do both. Simultaneously. In fact, one encourages the other. Sadly, the opposite is true. One can undermine the other as well, if we choose not to fly. Oh, you can pursue all you like, those four kind of Christ-like qualities, uh, but if you ignore your hot-headed, youthful desires, you will stagnate and most likely get worse and worse and worse. Or if you want to be an instrument for special purposes, uh, useful to God, you have to 
you have to take maintenance seriously. The Lord requires flight. Flight from youthful desires, uh, flight towards Christ-likeness. Don't sideline yourselves for the, the ministry of God working in and through you, being useful to him by just ignoring your character. If you want to be useful, take flight. And so we've seen, therefore, that the making of instruments for special purposes, we've seen the maintenance required flight, two directions, and now the reality check. Uh, what the Christian life and ministry looks like for an instrument of special purposes. Or at least what uh, it ought to look like. Let's look at verse 23 and 24, just as we, uh, we finish. We see the ministry of instruments for special purposes. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know that they will produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach not resentful. Paul's actually shifting here from that, that metaphor of the uh, instruments for special and, and common purposes to now the metaphor of a servant. Uh, but uh, the, the one follows from the other. The main point, though, in verse 23 is clear, isn't it? Do not be quarrelsome. Now, the situation you can imagine in Ephesus, we've heard a little bit about it in chapter 1. It's dangerous for the church. Many are fleeing. Just getting out of there. Do you think Timothy in that situation, can you imagine if like, suddenly there's a mass exodus from, from our church and, and do you think he, and there's people responsible for this, do you think he has any legitimate reason to quarrel? Yes. There's a, he's probably fuming about this stuff. Surely he just wants to clear the air. A nice argument would help that, wouldn't it? No, despite the threatened frustration, despite the false teachers, despite their dangerous teaching, Timothy is called here by Paul, do not quarrel. No doubt Timothy could show off. No doubt he could do this. Uh, and just, you know, kind of argue these men into the ground, humiliate them with his knowledge. I don't know, if you, maybe this is just me, but if you've ever been in a conversation, you know that someone is saying something wrong. You know, theologically, biblically, you kind of sat there and get, you really don't understand, do you? And there you are, you, you kind of open your mouth, and all you do is argue. You, you just begin quarrelling with them. You put them in their place, you show how superior your knowledge is. Maybe it's just me. And you leave a conversation like that feeling so wretched, don't you? And if you don't, you need to listen all the more. What are the controls that Paul gives Timothy? Look at verse 24. It's interesting, isn't it? Be kind to everybody. If you can't be kind in the way that you speak, don't speak. That applies equally to a patronising tone as much as what you actually say, doesn't it? If what you communicate isn't kind, be quiet. You may be theologically correct, but if you can't be kind with it, you need to keep your mouth shut. Be kind to everyone. Secondly, able to teach. Oh, we must have a knowledge to be able to teach, but notice in the next verse how even opponents are to be instructed. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Gently. 
Clever put-downs of people and churches, unfortunately, is like a sport for some people. But recognise what it is. It is often defended as kind of helping the church to discern error. More likely, it's just someone wanting to flex their theological muscles and show power that they have in their knowledge. And sadly, I find, depressingly so, this is rife in evangelical churches and church leaders today. Yes, we must warn people from error. We must teach so that the people are discerning. And you must do that in your groups to the children in our church. But naming and shaming, putting people down, shows an insecurity and a distinct lack of ability to teach. Lastly, not resentful. Few things will rip a church or an individual apart more than resentfulness. What are the telltale signs? A resentful person is very easy, aren't they, They, to spot. They take offence very quickly. They don't easily forgive, they hold grudges. They never forget the mistakes of others. Now we will all have weaknesses uh, in these areas and often we will see them in others before we see them in ourselves. I hope you can hear from my tone, this has not been the most easy talk to prepare. Good friends will point them out in you, obviously in a kind way, looking at the back of the previous verse. But a good friend will be willing to jeopardise a friendship for the sake of you being more like Christ. Paul is often caricatured, isn't he, in this kind of like, this rabid evangelist that went around, you know, outspoken, belligerent man who went intentionally to every synagogue and meeting place to offend anyone that he could speak to. But he was the one who, with meekness and gentleness, appealed to his hearers. What he said was controversial enough, wasn't it? Gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. So a servant of God, the ministry of the instrument for special purposes, that is, you and I, if we're Christians here today, yes, we must be kind to everyone. We must be able to teach. And we must not be resentful. Character matters, do you see that? Who we are really matters. It's everything. And it's really useful to God. And it's so attractive to everyone around as well. Hence why Paul finishes. Look at those last couple of verses. Opponents, he says, must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. We're to gently instruct to a knowledge of the truth. Oh, look, let's be clear. What we say is really important. We must be able to clearly present the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ to those around us and those we love and those we know. We must have the gospel clear in our hearts and our minds that at a moment we can gently share it. But let me ask you this. If you are not kind, who on earth is going to listen to you? We are to gently instruct to a knowledge of the truth. And that is all we need to do. We let God do the rest. For God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. Isn't that a relief?
Do you want to be useful for God? I guess if you're a Christian here today, yeah, you do. You really do. You really want to be useful to God. Well, if you do, take flight. Flee and pursue. People will try and quarrel with you. Don't. Gently instruct and let God work in their hearts. Let's pray as we close. The great words of a great man, C.T. Studd, one, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Heavenly Father, just reading of uh, this man this week, uh, C.T. Studd, a great man though he was, a very wealthy man, the English cricket captain of many years ago. But he had his priorities straight. He knew he had one life. It will soon be passed. And he wanted to be useful for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was a man of great character. He fleed all the youthful desires that were so much prevalent around him in his life in his life. May we, like him, heed your word and by your spirit, please work in us, each of us, that we might be useful to our master. We might be useful to you in response to all that you have done through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray, Heavenly Father, that we would be so pleasing in your sight, that we give you great honour as we are kind to others, as we are able to to open up God's word, your word, to them, that they would see the glories of the gospel and your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. May we gently instruct to a knowledge of the truth. Amen.